friends, and welcome to There's No People Like Show People, the podcast that connects and reconnects the theater community, inspires hope, and strives to help people not feel so alone. I am your host, Sarah Philibon. Welcome back, dear friends, to another episode of your favorite theater podcast. Maybe it's not, but I'm going to pretend like it is. There's no people like show people. Today, I am chatting with a very old friend. We actually went to the good old Shenandoah Conservatory together many years ago, and she is going to tell us some wonderful stories from her beautiful Colorado home. I'm looking at her over Zoom right now, and she has this beautiful um, picturesque fireplace in the background. So welcome to the podcast, Abby Austin. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, you know, just just waiting for spring to arrive. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you on that. This time last year, uh, my husband and I were in Mexico. Ooh. And I, I remember we were coming back from Mexico in customs and we were like, what, what are all these questions about this virus? Like, no, we haven't been to China. We've been in Cancun. Like, so, <laughs> and then I'm reminded, I'm like, oh yeah, it's winter time. That's usually why we go to Mexico in February. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I have never personally been to Mexico, but I imagine it is nice and beautiful and warm. It is. It is. We go there. That's like our beach spot when we, when we do go to the beach, because from Denver, it's like directly South. So it's one flight. So that's a big selling point, which you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that it's that easy to get to from here, but it, it really is. But yeah. And then I do have to tell you full disclosure, you have been with me all day because I have been listening. I listened to like five episodes of your podcast earlier today. You did. I did. I don't even want to admit how many podcasts I listened to today, but I spent quite a bit of time on this one. <laughs> well, um, I'm very flattered. Thank you so much. Um, what did you think? What g- g- Give us your best review of the podcast. I love it, you know, um, and I know that we're going to get into this a little bit more, but living in, in kind of like a more rural area, not necessarily like a metropolitan area um because I I actually live two hours away from Denver um it's just really nice to hear other people talk about theater and just be reminded that there's a whole nother world out there and there are so many passionate people they're so smart you've interviewed some really intelligent people I feel like the pressure is really on But I loved it. And then of course I love all the Shenandoah stuff because it's very nostalgic. You're like, oh yes, I do remember. I do remember that, you know, or, or whatever. <laughs> or some of those stories, especially the SSMT stories. Very oh. fond stories. Yes. The good old Shenandoah summer music theater. That just reminds, that, to me, that's like my childhood, basically. My, my teenager into, into young adult years. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. Um, and that I sometimes make a joke because I grew up with brothers that it was a miracle that any of us made it to adulthood. And at, thinking about SSMT, it's like, wow, it's a miracle that any of us ever made it through any of those summers. It's so true. 
<laughs> I 100% agree with that. Well, tell our listeners, where are you from? You know, where did you grow up and how did you get into theater? Sure. So um, I'm originally from East Tennessee and growing up, my mom owned a dance studio. She still actually owns a dance studio. So I grew up dancing um, and that was kind of like my main gig. So I've done the Nutcracker more times than I can count you know, a gazillion dance recitals, kind of like you. And that was just, that was just part of it. Um, so I always loved musical theater. I was, I have a memory of actually coming out here to Colorado. Um, I was really into Greece. I think I was like in fourth grade, you know, about right. Um, and I was coming out here to, to visit my grandparents and I only had a boom box. So I was like, well, mom, I'm just going to take the boom box and my Greece CD and just like take it through the airport, like some sort of <laughs> disc jockey or, or whatever you might want to call it. And then she got me a Walkman. So, you know, that, that was a game changer, but I always loved musicals and it was always an interest of mine, but I actually didn't do my first musical until I was 15. And it's kind of a funny story as to how I ended up there. And I love to tell this story. I have an older sister who's seven years older than me. And in my family, my, my parents understood that not every kid was meant to go to college. My sister, Ashley, she was not meant to go to college. But their rule was, once you graduate high school, you need to go somewhere. So like, you know, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here kind of, kind of type thing. So she was a dancer and she decided she just wanted to move to New York City. So this was in, in 2001. She moved to New York City in August of 2001. And then 9-11 happened, but she lived there for like four or five years. And when I got to be a little bit older, my parents thought it was a great idea for me to go and stay the summers with her because she worked at Broadway Dance Center at the old location, not even the new, like not the new location, the one without air conditioning. That's like where I remember starting dancing in New York. So they thought, well, go and stay with Ashley for the summer. You can go take class while she's working at Broadway Dance Center. And this is going to be great. So my sister was, you know, a little bit wild, I guess, so to speak. But, you know, she was like 19, 20, like living on her own in, in New York City. But she had me as well. And my parents happened to be visiting for vacation and they had gone to see the producers. And my sister wanted to go meet up with a guy in Times Square. So she decided to take me with her. And it was like midnight. And I think I'm like 13 or 14 at the time. And sure enough, my parents are like leaving the theater. It's such a small world, even in New York City. So they're, they're leaving the theater and they spot my sister Ashley out with me. My mom absolutely hits the roof. She pulls me away from my sister. And as we're walking to her hotel, we see a homeless person get stabbed. And she's like, and this is why you're not supposed to be out at this hour. You're, you're leaving tomorrow. And sure enough, I was on the next plane out of the city. So then that, this is a true story. So the next summer rolls around and my mom's like, well, you're not going to New York this summer. Like you lost that opportunity. But I was lucky enough to grow up in an area where an hour down the road was a regional theater called Cumberland County Playhouse. And they were doing a production of Cats for their summer theater. And I was a dancer and my mom was like, you know, I think that you should at least just go and try. Um, I had some friends that danced there. Um, my ballet teachers growing up also taught 
at that theater. So I had a little bit of connection there. So I auditioned for Cats and I made it. So in a funny roundabout way, Cats was like my punishment. But I had the, and I, I know that there are other people on the planet that feel like Cats might be, may or may not be their punishment, but I had the best summer of my life. So my first introduction into theater was doing a professional production of Cats and we did like 97 performances of it. So it was like nothing I had ever done before. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And I was a cat and I had braces because I was 14. <laughs> I think I might have turned 15 over the summer. But these are my cats. So there are pictures of me in like full cat makeup with like kitty braces. <laughs> um, that's the craziest story. I can't believe that your first show was a prof- was a professional production of cats. <laughs> it it was. It was. And and the story gets even even more interesting because I'll, I'll spare your podcast this long story, but growing up, my dad, my mom owned that, that dance studio and my dad was a judge and he ended up getting arrested when I was in high school for money, extortion, and laundering. And I can tell this in hindsight, he's out now. He lives his best life. He collects his full pension, whatever. He did go to prison though. But we found out because I wasn't of driving age and the theater was an hour away from my house. So he was having to drive me or my mom was having to drive me to every single show And as I said, we did a a whole lot of them. We later found out that when the FBI was following them, they saw cats like 30 times. (laughs) Cause they couldn't figure out why he like kept going to the theater. I'm like, they could have just gotten a program and like maybe placed two and two together. So, okay. (laughs) You just have to picture that though. Like some FBI agents, like, oh my god so now we know (laughs) we it it has been confirmed that the fbi loves cats the musical whether they love it or not they have seen it and i am so happy they know every (laughs) they know every single word I, I sure hope so. I mean, I don't even know if I could sing Jellicle Cats right now. It's like kind of complicated. <laughs> oh yeah. Especially with the choreo, you know, I don't know yeah. if I'm in um, unitard shape currently. <laughs> oh no, not post pandemic. <laughs> definitely not, not. not post baby and post pandemic. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Need a few more, um, you know, sit-ups and planks for that. Oh yeah, for sure. But you know what? Cats will get you in really good shape. I love shows like that where you're just like, I, I, you know, and I know that you've done this too, but I always loved like big ensemble shows where I never, like my preference would be to be an ensemble member in a show where I'd like never leave the stage. And Cats is one of those where you're just, yeah, on it. Well, it's funny, it's funny that you bring up Cats because that Cats was actually my very first uh, professional show. And it was at the Shenandoah Summer Music Theater. I was 19. It was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college. I was 19 years old and I was an intern that summer. And, and I would, and they put me in cats and I was like a random ensemble cat in the background. And Mr. Herman picked personally picked my name for me. And I was all black and white. And he called me Tilly snowshoe, all one word. Oh, (laughs) that's awesome. Tilly Snow, he's like, oh yes, like that's Sarah Philobom. She is playing ensemble cat named Tilly Snowshoe and she's black and white. Like he was very definite about it. Okay, cool, Mr. Herman. I'm pretty sure he had cats. I think that cats were like 
that was his pet of choice. Yeah. I was, I was also a cat with a random name. Um, but my random name was Quaxo. Oh, uh-huh. which I think actually comes from the book of poems. It does. I think that's where they found it. Yeah. But Tilly Snowshoe, I mean, I hope that you have a cat one day and you can name it that. I probably will. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember what was the first show that we did together at the good old SSMT. Okay. So I was thinking about this today because, so you were a senior when I was a freshman And so our first show together would have been my first summer at SSMT when I was an intern, which I was an intern the summer we did Hairspray, West Side Story, Mm -hmm. Joseph, Mm -hmm. and Beauty. And I remember you in Hairspray uh, making your bold choices as the pregnant (laughs) nicest kid, (laughs) whatever her name is. Brenda. Brenda. Yeah. And when will we be seeing you again, Brenda? And you're like nine months, you know, <laughs> and you just yeah. had all the bold choices with Brenda. Oh, always. Yeah. Well, I, I was, and that sort of started like this long track of me being like a random um, featured ensemble part and then just always being everybody's understudy. Like it, it, no matter where I went, I was always in the ensemble, sometimes the dance captain, sometimes like directing and choreographing the TYA and then understudying like a million people. So it was like a long, since I was Tracy's understudy as well. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. You were. And I was a prostitute (laughs) and that was my big reward for being an intern was that I got to be in the big dollhouse as a prostitute. You booked it. That did not make it onto my resume, but I do still have some of the pictures with the big beehive wig you were truly really proud booked and blessed I truly was but you know as an intern I was just so thrilled to have a moment where I got to go on stage yeah and that's like just some crazy perspective that I was just you know and you you have to take those moments with you where you're like it doesn't take much you know you have to kind of you I am constantly trying to check my gratitude and you have to remember where you come from you know and it's like that was such a big moment for me. The fact that I even got to do that. And I think I was like the assistant stage manager. So I actually didn't even have to be in the shop at, during that show. I actually got to be in rehearsal. So I was like a pig in slop. So they say (laughs) in the South. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like at some point everybody has interned in their life somewhere. And when you are an intern, you basically do all the stuff that nobody wants to do. Like you're doing everything. Totally. You, you totally are. But like, I look back on that and it's, it's definitely humbling, but you also learn, you learn so much. And I think that it really sets you up for when you are playing that lead role or you are the choreographer or the director or whatever to really appreciate every single person because you've been that person. Yes. And you're like, wow, I, I, you know, I remember how it felt to have to paint or you know do all the costumes or you know the things that you didn't really really want to do but well and also to literally have no days off like I I remember that summer that I was an intern I I don't I had like you worked every single day you worked every single day because on Mondays that's when they would would be putting in the set for the next show so as an intern you had to go in and help with that and it was like again like how did we make it through at me now I'm a princess I'm like I have got to sleep for x amount of hours and then I think back to that and I'm like how how did my body do that how yeah. how did my brain do that 
we were young, you know, <laughs> we were young and energetic, but that was, I, I have so many fond memories from that summer, um, for, for a number of reasons. I love the show Joseph and it's a show that I've been trying to do up here at our theater for a really long time because I saw a really fun production of it when I was growing up that still sticks with me to this day. Um, because it was, it, it was kind of set modern day, if that makes sense, but it was so fun. Like I remember all, all the wives, um, had like Kroger's bags and they were like modern day moms kind of, but it, it was just a cute take on it. Um, and I used to love watching that Donny Osmond version, just like so much cheese. Oh yeah. But it was really fun to do that show. And then I will always remember when we did beauty and the beast and the fire alarm went off. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And we all, we all had to evacuate in our costumes and it was right before be our guest. <laughs> and the napkins, I don't know if you remember their costumes, but they had like a white hood. Oh yeah. Oh, I, oh, I, I was a napkin. <laughs> oh yeah. That's right. You are. I was a plate. <laughs> but like the, it, it just, out of context it, it was wasn't very good. questionable yeah and and like I can't even imagine the people who were randomly driving by Winchester and just saw a bunch of magical creatures <laughs> like sitting out on the side of the road of the <laughs> like what's going on over there <laughs> with the audience and I remember like a couple people ended up going to IHOP with some of the audience members afterwards <laughs> classic well, <there. laughs> I have not been to an IHOP since I left Winchester, Virginia. Oh yeah. I mean, every Thursday night, it was, it was 50% off college discount night. You had to go every Thursday. Yeah. We, we drove past one a couple of weeks ago and, uh, my husband was like, Oh, we should go in there and get pancakes. I was like, no, I only get cheese sticks from IHOP. And he was like, excuse me. I'm like, yeah, we used to go at like midnight and get mozzarella cheese sticks. They were delicious. Yeah, I would always be getting that appetizer sampler. That's what it was. It was really good. <laughs> so when you graduated, did you move to New York right away? Um, I did. Well, I did SSMT for one more summer. So I graduated in May and then SSMT would have ended in August. And then I moved to New York that September. And I actually remember being in my apartment in Winchester before graduation trying to figure out like am I going to move to New York or am I going to move to Colorado because Colorado was always my family has had a home here since the 70s so I've grown up here it's it's a second home to me um and it, I don't know I guess I was I I just have always had a lot of peace in the mountains and so it, it was always between those two places but in hindsight, I'm so glad that I tried New York first because I think that if I had come to Colorado, I never would have left. I mean, that's it, eventually what ended up happening in my story. But, um, and then I always would have wondered what it was like. But so, yes, I did move to New York City and um, I lived with Robin Higginbotham, who's also a SSMT legend. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I just did the New York City hustle for for about a year and hated every minute of it <laughs> hated it okay well well tell tell us okay why like what did you hate about it okay so um 
I, I don't know. I think that just, I just, the city in general was a big part of it. I'm such an outside person. I need to be able to be outside. I need to be able to see trees. I was constantly finding myself in Central Park, you know, in, in Washington Park, all the places. Um, but also I just, the, the whole grind that goes along with being a performer in New York City, I just felt like I worked so hard in college. And I know that this might seem a little entitled, but I, I had worked so hard in college and I had been fed this narrative from college that was like, you are trained for these jobs, you know, um, national tours, off-Broadway shows, like the, this is what you have trained for. So now go to New York City and get one of those jobs. Well, it's not that easy. And going in that grind and that, that constant, you know, rejection, like I, I have real memories of opening up in an audition to sing and literally singing two words before they were like, thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and so that just didn't sit well, well with me. I just was really, I really tried. I auditioned all the time. I, so I, I can't say that I didn't try. I auditioned all the time and I just was never happy. And I just remember the last audition I went to was actually for the Lake Dillon theater that's in my County. And I just remember I got a call back from them. And I remember being like, I really can't wait for this call back to be over. Cause I really just want to go get Chipotle and go home. <laughs> and that's kind of how I knew that I was not in the right place for right. me as a person. And it had, it had burned me out. And I don't know if coming straight out of college and then moving to New York was part of the whole burnout because me as a person, I really struggle with balance in my life. And once I am committed to something, I am all in. And so I think once I committed to doing theater after, you know, once I got started in high school and decided to really try to pursue it, I think I just might've exhausted myself and then going to New York on top of that, I think just added to that exhaustion. So I went home for a friend's wedding. Um, and I remember getting off the plane and my mom looked at me and she was like, you just, you don't even look like yourself. And I was like, that just hits you when your mom opens up to you and says something that's, she's obviously concerned. So I told my mom, I was like, I, I don't feel like myself. Like, I don't, this is not, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not fun. This is, this is not the life that I want to have. And so my mom said, and then I didn't, I didn't even want to go back to New York, but my mom was like, well, I was nannying for a family at a time at the time. And my mom said, no, you need to go back. You need to go give your two weeks notice. You need to go get all your stuff. And then, you know, your grandparents are going out to Breckenridge for the summer I think it would be best if you went to Breckenridge and kept an eye on them because the summer before my grandmother had had a heat stroke and they were alone, they're older couple. So, you know, she kind of spun it. Like I would be doing this family favor basically. So I went back to New York, quit my job, made my way to LaGuardia somehow (laughs) with four suitcases. (laughs) And I took public transportation because I was poor. I've done it. I've done it. What was I thinking? Like, how did I, how did I move around with four suitcases? Went to LaGuardia, got on the plane and went to Colorado. And I knew, I knew the minute I was here, I was like, I, this is, this is more me. Let's try to figure out how to make it work here. So, and that was in 2013 is when I moved here. Yeah. 
That was a long time ago. Yeah. Like what? I don't even know what year is it now? 2021. So what? Eight years ago? Eight years. Eight years. Well, tell us, please. We all want to know what have you been doing in Colorado for the last eight years? So I've been, I've been doing a lot of things, but what I'm doing currently, um, and what I've been doing for the last four years is I, I am a choreographer mainly. And then I'm also the assistant director at a dance studio. So I teach like 20 dance classes a week. It's something crazy. That's great. It's a lot. I should be in a lot better shape than I am, but I teach teach a lot of tiny people. Um, and I'm just, I'm just, I feel really blessed because I was able, I've been able to figure out how to live where I want to live, but also have the job that I want to have. Um, I also will teach voice lessons on occasion. Pre-pandemic, I was teaching voice lessons. I haven't quite felt, it's not that I don't feel comfortable. I just don't know how much my students will get out of it with a mask on, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. So I haven't picked that back up. Um, But yeah, so for the last four years I've lived here, I have worked full time in my field and I feel so lucky every day I get up and I go to work and I'm like using my college degree, using all of my experience and I'm able to share it with some really talented and really hungry young performers. And that is super fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love working with kids, like love it. They're They're so great. Yeah. Because they have so much passion and, and so much drive and they're so excited and, and, and I think generally more positive than adults are. They definitely are. Yeah. They're not, they're not old and jaded. (laughs) No, they don't, they don't have that life experience yet, which, uh, which, so when I teach, I do teach acting to kids. I have, I created an acting program at our dance studio that has been going on for six years now. Um, in addition to the student theater enrichment program that I was part of the founding team for the Breckenridge backstage theater, I guess is the name of the theater that I primarily work for here. Um, which is a regional theater, kind of a mix between a regional and community theater. They're closed right now because of the pandemic, but hopefully that changes soon. But yeah, so when you teach acting to kids, it's really funny because as far as life experience goes, like I try to really stay away from like love scenes or, you know, but they love it. They're like, oh, like, let's do a breakup scene. I'm like, what do you even know about? (laughs) About that. (laughs) I'm like, no, no. Yeah. You're like, what are you 12? Like, (laughs) yeah, totally. It's like, well, they're like, well, you know, I've seen it or, or, or then you'll get one that's like, well, you know, my aunt. And I'm like, I don't know your aunt and I don't really want to know. (laughs) So sorry to hear that for her. (laughs) Well, and you've also been performing too. I have been performing. Um, so I've been really, I've done some really fun, fun shows since I've been out here. Some of my favorite shows that I've gotten to do um, I got to do a production of She Loves Me and I played Alona and that was super fun. And that was a really fun like turning point in my show career here because up to that point, I had played some smaller parts. Um, and like I said, done a ton of choreographing, which I really enjoy um, doing choreography for a lot of reasons. But when I played Alona and She Loves Me, a lot of people were like, wow, we we didn't we knew that you did theater, but we didn't, we didn't quite understand. Cause that's definitely like a triple threat kind of role. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, here I am, you know, just in the splits in this little <laughs> shop, living my best life. Um, I got to do a production of Annie, 
which was so fun. I know that sometimes people hate on Annie, but I'm not one of those people. I've done Annie three times in my life so far, uh, twice while pregnant. Oh yes. I think I did. I heard you mention that on one of your podcasts earlier today. Um, I loved doing Annie though. Cause what was so cool for me as an educator. So I choreographed it, but I also played Lily St. Regis, which is the perfect role to play. If you're also a choreographer, it's a good balance. Um, Cause you can kind of do your own things and then go sit in the house during tech week and actually make sure that everything is going the way it's supposed to. But it was so cool because I got to see so many of my students really shine. And there's something really special about being a teacher and getting to share the stage in an appropriate way. Like it's very appropriate for me to play Lily St. Regis and it's very appropriate for my students to be orphans. And it was just really a fun experience. And that's probably one of my more fond memories of theater altogether. What, what advice do you give to your kids? Like, especially kids who are really, you know, they, they want to go into the arts as a career or, or maybe they don't know, but they're interested in it. What, what real world life advice do you give to them? Oh my God, Sarah, I give them all of the advice. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they tune me out half the time, (laughs) but I would say, I would say I'm, I like to think of myself as somebody who keeps a really open line of communication, um, especially when you're working with, I primarily teach teenage girls. Um, so it's such a, such an interesting age and sometimes they get a bad reputation, but they won't, they're very interesting people and very, very opinionated, but what I will tell them, and I will stand by this until the day I die is anytime you have the opportunity to learn from anyone, you need to be a sponge. And whether you take the information forward, take it in, and then you can decide what you're going to do with it. But I, I guess that the majority of my advice will always come back to just be a student, be a student, be a student, because you never know. One teacher might have that catchphrase that just really sticks with you and makes everything click and everything fall into place. And it's like, take every single opportunity you have to be in class, to go to a dance convention, to go and, and see a show and with a talk back and hear from professional actors, do not take any of that for granted. Anytime a master teacher comes in, take like, I almost want them to bring a notepad and, and write down what these people have to say. Yeah. I think I love that because you're never, I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are or what you're accomplished. You're, you, you're always a student. You never stop learning and, and growing and changing. And it's sort of like that famous old saying is that, oh, how does it go? It's like when, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. And I will tell you, um, the biggest teacher that I have had so far in my life who has taught me, I, who has changed me the most as a human being, hands down has to be my daughter. And she's not even two years old yet. <laughs> so she has taught me so much about love, sacrifice, patience. Let me, let, patience. I'm going to say that one more time because she's almost two. Patience. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, kids, they, I think they, like, they, I feel like the kids that I um, taught, they taught me so much. I totally agree. I learn every day. And sometimes I learn things that I don't want to learn. Like when they, when they show me what the WAP is, have you heard of this WAP no. on TikTok? No. I don't even know what that is. When they break down, you know what I mean? Sometimes they teach me things that I don't want to know, but I agree with you. Every day I go to work, I leave with, it's patience is a big part of it. And we are living in a time where um, I want to encourage young females to take some control of their lives. And I think that that's a, part of why I did not quite thrive in New York city. I did not have a whole lot of control of my life as to where, when I moved here, for whatever reason, I felt like I, I had a little bit more room to control who I was and what my path was going to be. But when I'm working with these girls, you know, I want them, a lot of things that I work on with them are things that I hope that they can take out into the world. And then in turn, I'm constantly reminded reminding myself that I need to practice what I preach. You know, we talk a lot, um, about with my middle school and high school kids, we really try not to communicate with their parents. Meaning that if they are having a problem in class, if something's going on, we, I would so much rather hear from my middle schooler than have their mom send an email. But the lesson there is, is advocating for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. is advocating for yourself. So this week I had, um, actually a fifth grader come to me and say, I don't understand why I'm on the side of this stance. Why, why am I on the side? I want to be front and center. And at first I was like, like frustrated, like, like, what do you mean? And then I kind of had to check myself like, no, this, this kid is trying to understand this kid is actually trying to advocate for herself to kind of see you know, what was going on. And it then opened up for us to have a whole discussion as a class as to how choreography works. What, what I see, I didn't put you over there because I don't like you. I am looking at the whole picture mm -hmm. of, of the dance. I'm not just looking at where so-and-so goes. Now, of course, you know, when you teach, like you've got that one kid that can always remember everything. They're going front and center. Yep. Because then I don't have to go on stage. Nobody really wants to see that anymore. <laughs> if I can get a couple of the kids to know it, but um, yeah, so it's, it's just it. And I think that goes back to the patience thing too. You know, I had to remind myself, no, like I need, I need to be patient right now and let this kid, let this kid ask these questions. And then we had a huge discussion with my, with both of my theater dance classes, because I realized as a teacher, this was something that I used to talk about, but I hadn't talked about it this year. And because I hadn't gone out of my way to explain how this kind of works, I had a kid that was in the corner, like, well, Miss Abby doesn't like me. So now I have to dance over here to the side. It's like, oh, oh no, no, no. That it has nothing to do with that. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. So have you, have you been teaching this whole time throughout the whole pandemic? Um, so we shut down in March just like the rest of the world. And then, so, and I, I didn't go back to work. I had my first students back in June. Oh, okay. For camp. So, um, you know, I'm in Colorado, so every state has different rules, ours included. And we even got to the point where everything was kind of opening back up. And then in December, they shut us 
basically back down, which was really rough, but we made it through. So I started, we had dance camp in June um, with, you know, social distancing. I mean, squares on the floor, like this is your six foot square. Don't leave it. Masks on the whole time. Um, the little kids do fine with it. It's so funny. Cause I'll look out and they'll be like ha- tr- trying to have a sip of water with their mask on. <laughs> and you're like, no, you can take it off now. Or they, they will forget that they have it on their face. Yeah. Um, my kindergarten class that I teach right now, they just think that that's life. They think that when you go to kindergarten, you just wear a mask. Right. Because they don't know any different. Right. Um, the older kids, because sometimes what we do is, you know, high cardio, that's when they start to struggle because they can't breathe you know? And so in our, in our state, our rules are basically, if you can be, if you can have six feet away from anybody, you can have your mask down momentarily. So you can have a sip of water, you can catch your breath and then you can come back to the dance floor. So that, so we do take a lot of water breaks this year, but it's just been really good for myself and for my students to be back at it. So we're really thankful for that. So I taught for two weeks in June and then I taught for one week. Um, I always go home and teach at my mom's studio in uh, July. And then we did two more weeks in August and then we opened full time in September. That's great. So we've been cruising. That's amazing. Lots of quarantines. Um, I, well, from what I've been told, Colorado takes the quarantine situation a lot harder than some of the other states. So we'll have, so if a kid goes to school and there is somebody who is in their class who thinks they might have been exposed, then that whole class is automatically quarantined right? until negative tests come back. So we have a lot of kids that we stream our dance classes now, which is just like totally wild. <laughs> I've never in my life, like, you know, you're like yeah. in somebody's living room. I always make my kids around Halloween. We do the time warp. <laughs> I feel like that's part of their theater education. Mm-hmm. And I had one kid streaming. And when she came back to class the next week, she was like, my parents knew that dance. I was like, yeah, well, it's kind of a thing. <laughs> She's like, I was doing the time warp. And then my dad jumped in and time warped with me. I'm like, all right. <laughs> There's your Rocky Horror. I was like, I hope you didn't watch the movie because you are only eight, but <laughs> whatever happens at your house is your business. Yeah, but we can all do a fun dance together. Totally, they love it. <laughs> how, how do you want to see the world change as we come out of this pandemic eventually? What do you want to see, change? especially like within arts communities as well? I think I, well, I'm an optimist as it is. But I think that the, I think that we're going to see a lot of positives come out of this if we're willing to open up and receive them. Um, I hope to see the theater community become a little bit more creative. Like if your whatever your you know traditional summer schedule was, like it probably can't look like that anymore. But let's let's do some other things. Let's do some shows that are maybe a little less over the top and a little bit more intimate. Um, So I'd love to see that. But I think, again, from an education standpoint, what I have loved seeing is the fact that all of these, you know, professional ballet dancers or Broadway actors have started to do these, you know, Zoom workshops that are accessible. And I think that that's absolutely amazing. So... I hope that that continues. I know people don't 
won't always have the time to do that. But I think that that is one incredible thing that has come out of it. We didn't, we chose not to do virtual dance classes when we closed in March because I don't want to teach ballet class to you over Zoom when Tyler Peck is also teaching ballet class. (laughs) Go take her ballet class. (laughs) So I think that that's really, really amazing. And um, I guess to sum it up in one word, what I would like to see change is is the whole accessibility thing. Um, You know, that you never would have been able to take a dance at Broadway Dance Center in your house in Colorado, ever. That was never a thing. And now it's a thing. You don't have something to do on a Saturday morning. You can like pay $10 and drop in at BDC. Like that's incredible. Yeah. I also really love the fact that some of these Broadway musicals have are on Disney. Like I love that Hamilton's on Disney plus. I think that's great because I, I know kids that love theater, but their families would never have the money to go to New York and see Hamilton on Broadway yet here. They, they get to watch it in their living room. I think that's in the prom. I saw all your footage. I loved the prom. I thought the prom was great. Yeah. So good. So good. And how many more people did that reach? Because of this, you know, and, and so I think that, I think that the arts and Broadway and theater, I think that it is our duty to make sure that it is accessible to people. And I felt that way pre-pandemic, but I certainly feel that way post-pandemic. And I hope that more and more of these, you know, videos become available. I hope that these classes continue. It's just really an awesome thing. Well, and I know that we've talked about this a lot is that you don't have to necessarily be in a major city to be seeing a fantastic show or be part of a, you know, cultural arts experience or, I mean, you're right. Like people who are in a smaller town, they deserve the same kind of art. You know what I mean? You know, like we talk about this a lot, like, like arts communities thriving outside of major cities. They, they have to, I think it's, it's our duty. And in a way it's our duty as people who have training to, cause I, I know that your experience in New York was kind of similar to mine. Like just, that's just not where you were meant to be, mm-hmm. but it's those of us who have the, the college degrees and have the resumes to back it up, it's our duty to go out and educate because we're helping to grow that next level of people who love theater, who love theater. I mean, when I was in high school, all I ever did was listen to Wicked. That was it. <laughs> yeah. The Wizard and I all the time, <laughs> all the time, you know? So it's like, it's, it's such, such a a responsibility that we have in a sense. And I love the saying, and I don't know if you know the saying, but it's, it's grow where you're planted. Mm. Right. So where, where grow, where you are planted, wherever that might be. And I think that some of us who are kind of committed to not pursuing that, that Broadway dream and, and, and working in middle America or working up in the mountains in Colorado, like we need to grow where we're planted and I am planted right here and I am committed to my community and I'm committed to my students and I am committed to the art scene that is in my area. Because first of all, like if my name's on it, I want it to be good. But second of all, I also want to go and be entertained or be inspired. And that's what the theater does for you. 
Right. Absolutely. Well, and also I, I can't tell you how many times I, you know, I've seen a million shows. I've worked on a million shows. I've done a million shows, but they're all just so special to me. They really are like every single one. It doesn't matter what show it is or what show it's about or who's in it, or I'm just so happy to be working and so grateful to be working on a show, especially right now, you know, in the world that we, that we currently live in. Um, I mean, I have dedicated, truly, I've been doing it for the last 30 years. I've dedicated my life to this. And I know uh, wholeheartedly that this is what I was meant to be doing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is my sole purpose when it comes to career and art. And they're all sort of like interconnected and intertwined, but I just can't really imagine doing anything else, you know, like, and yeah. So I'm like trying to think where I'm going with this, but it's like, it's, it's just so fulfilling to me to be working on really any show with anyone in any capacity. And um, especially with these kids and working with them, it's, it's like we are sort of educating and training the next generation of, of artists who are going to pass these stories down and these traditions and, you know, from generation to generation to generation. So you're right, it is our duty and it is our responsibility to care let's like carrying the torch forward yeah and I think that it's a really cool thing I mean don't you get excited when you have a student that's like oh my god have you have you ever heard of this show called in the heights you're like yeah yeah I have <laughs> did you like it you know and then they're like oh, it was amazing I can't you know and you're just like like I, re I remember being that person and I'm so thankful to be that person now for some of my students that kind of just totally nerd out on theater, I'm like, I am right there with you. Um, yeah. And I, I love to talk to them too. Like, you know, when Hamilton was such a thing, like, it's like, guys, when, when I was your age, oh, there's my cat. <laughs> Sorry, I think he's my cat. He looks like your cat that you described earlier. <laughs> um, but there's a cat in front of the fireplace right now. <laughs> he's such a little prince. <laughs> He's a diva, but so I, I like to tell my kids though, I'm like, speaking of generational things, it's so funny to think when I was in high school, wicked was the thing. Mm -hmm. And then before that, it's like rent was the thing. Like there's always been a show and there's going to, there are going to be shows. I really believe that we're going to get past this. We've got to, we as a society, and I think we as artists history has proven that we we always find a way so we are just kind of in our waiting period right now I do think Broadway is going to open back up I don't think it's going to look like it used to maybe that's okay I didn't really like sitting super close to people that I didn't know <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> that wasn't really my favorite part of it um well, and actually like now I'm sorry to interrupt your, your train of thought, but I just had this idea. You're right. Maybe Broadway isn't going to look like what it used to. And maybe it will be better. Like maybe because there isn't going to be as much money of, available, I'm assuming as there was before. So maybe it's not going to be about all of the, you know, million things. Yeah. It's not about the special effects and like, maybe it's more about the storytelling yeah. And as you know, those of us who work regionally, a lot, you have to rely on the storytelling because you've, I've never had a budget. Good Lord. You know, you're like, well, we have to tell this story. We have to tell the story really well. I remember when I was doing um, 
we did a junior production of Mary Poppins a couple of years ago, had 70 kids in it. And at our theater, in order to fly someone, it's, an, it's a huge cost. So we, we, were, we had to figure out a way to make Mary Poppins fly without actually flying her. Yeah. And so what we ended up doing is we, we created a ladder that she got on the top of. And I had all these other kids go around her with these clouds. And it was like, it was, it was magical. Yeah. And at first when I was pitching the idea or when, when it was pitched to me, I can't remember if it was me or the director, I was like, oh God, this sounds like something we're going to end up on YouTube. Like, <laughs> you know, poor man's Mary Poppins. But <laughs> when it got up there, you're like, she, she never needed to fly. Right. We stripped this down to, and we, we made it work because we focused on what the story was and what the point was. Yeah. And, and it's more about the creativity than it is about the special effects. And yeah, because I always appreciate those. Sh- like I would, if I had to pick, okay, like Sarah, you can go see the Lion King or Mary Poppins or Wicked, you know, something with like lots of special effects, like, or you can go see something that's minimal set, less pe- you know what I mean? Just like every, like hands on a hard body, uh, come from away, um, you know, like things like that, or even like smaller shows, I would almost always pick the, you know, the less flash and, flash and trash and the, <laughs> and the more like, like ev- stories about everyday people so because that's more relatable to me oh yeah absolutely you mean you aren't you couldn't relate to cats <laughs> <laughs> kidding, um, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> actually it's funny that you say that because I feel like cats can be done in, in a very minimalistic way like it doesn't I mean like obviously the makeup is the most you know um fancy fanciful thing but like set wise it's just a junk it's just a bunch of trash that cats are I know. it's like the biggest on. one of the biggest shows that ever was um i i totally agree with you and I, in my experience i think that i have gotten more out of the shows that that we really didn't have any money to work with so we actually had to put our brains together and figure out how how are we going to make this work you know, how are we gonna, you know, I did a junior production of the Lion King and, and we've also done, um, Little Mermaid and all those Disney shows have so much magic that goes with them. And when you're working on a very tight budget, you have to be really creative. So when we did the Little Mermaid, I literally cast kids as water and gave them fabric and gave them patterns and they had like the greatest time of their life. Yeah. Their parents were so thrilled Yep, and it was, it was great. I mean, all, you know, all the movement from the fabric told the story when we, you know, we didn't have Heelys. We didn't have, we weren't, again, we weren't able to fly Ariel and do the transformation and, Mm -hmm. and everybody was involved with it too. So I think that that teamwork makes the dream work thing. I I'm a big believer in that because that's my every day, right? It's my every day is how, how do we make this work and how do we make this work in a way that's cost-effective in a way that's entertaining. Um, when you're working with kids, I always want to figure out ways that can include as many kids as possible, because if they're on stage, then I know they're not doing something weird backstage <laughs> because I can see them. 
And and that's called creative problem solving right there. Totally. It totally is. Oh my gosh. I remember like they, I could tell you so many stories, but I will always remember the, this one time where our theater is in downtown Breckenridge and where we do these big shows, we actually do it at a concert venue called the Riverwalk Center where pre-COVID, I live in this like teeny tiny small town, but because we're a tourist town, they were bringing these amazing musicians. And so it was always so fun to like follow up, follow the Indigo Girls with, you know, our production of the Jungle Book, like <laughs> just like crazy people um, that would come up to our teeny tiny town just to perform. But anyway, I totally just saw, lost my train of thought. No, it's funny that you're, that you're talking about a story because I was going to, my next, my last question was going to be, do you have a favorite theater story or memory that you would like to leave our, our listeners with? Um, one of my, I feel really lucky because I got to play my, my dream role, which was Elle Woods, um, at SSMT. And it was just, there's, there was something about every night standing on our stage you know that we the OBT and doing the last part because I had just graduated from college so doing the graduation scene as Elle Woods on my college stage like that will just that will just travel with me for forever and I still have I just have so many fond memories of of being able to do that and that was like also such a full circle moment this will be a good full circle for the podcast too um, going from being an intern that first summer to being L and legally blonde, which is such a huge part my last summer. So I, that, that is just absolutely a standout. And then also, as I mentioned, like, I also really think really fondly of my production of Annie that I got to do a couple years ago, just cause I got to be on stage with my kids air quotes. Yeah. So that was, that was just like, you know, you know how that feels when you're like, you're on stage doing it. I'm on stage doing it. It's great. <laughs> we're all so, on stage doing it. <laughs> we're all on stage doing it. That's so cool. Yeah, that's, that's really, really awesome. Um, I just miss theater so much. And I know, I know we all do. Yeah, it'll come back. We just have to, we just have to wait and we just have to be patient and we have to put our heads together and we have to be creative. And we have to problem solve and we have to figure out how are we going to make this work and how are we going to do it in a safe way? Because I'm here to tell you that it is possible. I agree. Anything's possible. That's right. There's a little susical for you. (laughs) (laughs) Anything's possible. Well, thank thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. And I got, we haven't seen each other in so long. So it's, it's so nice to see your beautiful face and your beautiful Colorado home and well it's been so nice thank you for having me I've just really enjoyed talking theater and I really love your podcast I think you're doing a great job thank you so much you know I I really I started this podcast because I just felt like everyone was really disconnected and, and lonely I know that I was and I just wanted to connect and and reconnect the theater community and and share these stories with people because sometimes I, th- I love podcasts so much because to me they're all they're free and so it's like it's like t- you can I, I listen to like one podcast a day so that's 30 or 31 podcasts a month it that's like taking 30 free master classes 
For sure. It's so good for your brain. It's so good for your brain. I feel like I always learn something that I didn't already know, you know, or, or it just gives me some, some news that maybe I wasn't like in tune with. It's really an awesome thing, but thank you for having me. And it's been really awesome to see your face. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully, you know, one of these days, one of these years, we'll get to work on a show again together. That'd be really awesome. Can I ask you one final question before we're done? Of course you can. When you go to work, when you were talking earlier about how you always felt like this is just what you were meant to do with your life. Do you feel like you're like actually going to work? Um, yeah, yes and no. That's how I am too. Yeah, I, I guess I think it depends on because sometimes there's always a part of it depends on if I am performing, teaching, directing or choreographing or doing something else. There's always a, like a part of the job that feels like work, but then there's always a part of the job that does like, it just feels like fun and, and play and, you know, dancing with your friends. And I agree. Yeah. I agree. And we're some of the lucky ones that can say that about our job. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was never a fan, like the part that felt like work, like I never really liked learning line, especially if I had a lot of lines to learn. Like to me, that was tedious work. Uh, learning music and, and choreography was always so much easier or like auditioning. I was never a big fan of like that felt like work, you know, like going to auditions and that felt stressful to me. But then once you got the job, that was, I don't know, more fun. And, um, but yeah, I just, uh, yeah, that's something, that is something I'm going to ponder. You should ponder it, but I think about that every day. Um, what feels like work for me now, where I am in my life, is just having to be somewhere at a certain time. But once I get to work, once I'm in the studio, once I'm in the theater, it's just like, I could stay there all night. I'm like, I'm good to go. Yeah. So I feel that's like, that's one of my daily gratitudes is that I have a job that I thoroughly enjoy. And I've had times in my life where I was not paid to do theater and I'm so lucky that I do get paid now, but even if I didn't, I would probably still figure out a way to be involved. <laughs> you know? Oh, oh, absolutely. I, I can 100% relate to that because like, it's in your, it feels like it's in your blood, you know, like you were, it's in it your, it's in your bones. It's in your blood. It's like, it's, it's your DNA. Like, it's in, it is, it is the theater is written in your DNA. <laughs> What's that quote? Like she, she's got, oil some there's a quote from some musical about she's got makeup in her veins or something like that I'm like yeah yeah same same anyway anyway <laughs> so fun <laughs> so fun well listeners thank you so much and uh please feel free to visit our website and to like our Instagram page, listen to at least five episodes today of the podcast. I'm just kidding, but maybe just one, just this one. Thank you so much for listening. And wherever you are, I hope you are having a lovely day.